This podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered Bible teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now for this week's message from Pastor Alan Battle. Today's reading is from the book of Proverbs and Psalms. Thank you. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and a quarreling is like the bars of a castle. Whoever troubles with troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. House of wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who gives in to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. Let the fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son? with a forbidden woman, and embrace the bosom of an adulteress. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hand tears it down. It is better to live in the corner of a housetop than a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. Train up a child in the way it should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be, will be put out in utter darkness. This is the word of God. So we're looking at the wisdom literature of the Bible, and we've been going through the book of Proverbs to find wisdom on a variety of topics. So last week we looked at the topic of anger, 
We saw that uncontrolled anger is a destructive force that needs to be tamed. But godly anger upholds God's honor and protects his creation. So this week, as you can tell by the verses we just heard, is on the topic of family life. Now, everyone knows instinctively that families are important and that families are good or should be good. Even people who come from terrible families or those who have no family at all have a concept of what a good family should be. And families are and always have been the foundation of all human society. I found a few good quotes from around the world that uh, I liked. An ancient Chinese proverb goes, A family in harmony will prosper in everything. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, said, The family is the association established by nature for the supply of man's everyday wants. And the Albanian-born Mother Teresa asked, What can you do to promote world peace? Go home and love your family. But I really like this French proverb, the, the cynical French. In a good family, the husband is deaf and the wife blind. <laughs> so the family is God's invention. It springs from his very being. Look at Ephesians three fourteen and 15. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul says every family is named after God the Father. He's the ultimate father. He's the model for every family on heaven and earth. In fact, the earth was made for the purpose of being a place for human families to flourish. That's what he made it for. You know what the very first commandment was that he gave to the couple, Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply. He said, start a family. That's the first command. The father who made them bids them to create children. And I find it significant that, you know, he made Adam first and he told him to go take care of the garden. But after that, he said, it's not good. It's not good that he be alone. So then he created Eve to become a helper who was just right for him. And their union was a good thing. In fact, it says in Proverbs 18.22, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So together, they were to both fill and to subdue the earth. That is, they were responsible to participate in the creation of a place where families could live out the goodness of the life that God had given them. The family begins with marriage. After he created the first couple, he said in Genesis 2, 24 and 25, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So becoming one flesh is the sexual union that produces offspring. So this is saying that from this point on, family was to be the basis for all human society. Children would be born to couples 
who in turn would join as couples and produce more children. And marriage has always been defined as the union of a man and a woman. This is true in every culture going back to prehistoric times. And the current push to redefine marriage is unprecedented in history. You know, if you got a donkey and you call it a horse, it's still a donkey. And marriage is what God says it is. And no human law can change that. I believe that the Bible is true because it is the best explanation for why the world is here and why it works the way it works. Marriage and family are a great example of that. The Bible says that marriage is God's design for men and women. It says that sex is to be reserved for marriage only. And that children that result from that union are to be cared for and nurtured by the parents. So let me share with you just a few facts um, from, the current, from current studies about marriage that highlight just how good marriage is. Marriage people, married people are happier. Surveys show that over 60% of married people report that they are very happy. They are only about half as likely as singles or cohabitors to say they are unhappy with their lives. And divorced adults are twice as likely as married folk to say they are not very happy. And that those who do divorce do not become happier after a divorce. So divorce is not the answer to unhappiness. I love this statistic that demonstrates the power of a strong commitment in marriage. Long-term studies have shown that two-thirds of unhappy marriages will become happy within five years if they just stick, stick it out, if they stay married and they don't get divorced. Married people are also healthier. According to various studies, married people are more likely to survive cancer, less likely to suffer stroke or heart attack, less likely to develop depression and other mental disorders, and the list goes on. And marriage serves as an emotional shock absorber to cushion the disappointments of life, like illness and financial setbacks. Married people bounce back faster after those things. And married people are wealthier. A 1992 study of retirement data found that continuously married people had 75% more wealth at, the re- at their retirement than those who never married or who divorced and didn't remarry. And then what about the children? Children in two-parent, intact families are far less likely to have a whole range of problems throughout their lives. Children living with both biological parents are 20 to 35% more physically healthy than children from broken homes. Children from, of divorced parents are 50% more likely to develop health problems. So much for the argument that, well, it's better for the children if unhappy couples get divorced. It's just not true. The children of two-parent intact families are more likely to graduate from high school and complete college compared to those who were raised in blended or single-parent homes. 
And being raised in a married family reduced the child's probability of living in poverty by, get this, 82%. And they're, they're far less likely to be convicted of crimes or be the victim of a violent crime. So now if you take all these statistics and you consider the effect of them on a society as a whole, you can see that it's obvious that cultures with strong families are better off. This is the way things really are, the way God describes them. And the proverb is correct that declares righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I mean, two of the Ten Commandments are directly pertaining to family. Honor your father and mother, and thou shalt not commit adultery. And I don't mean to be harsh or condemning here, but the studies I just cited demonstrate the cold, hard fact that sinful behavior, like sex outside of marriage and divorce, are bad for people. And following God's way is good for people. But not all families live God's way. So let's dive into the Proverbs and get some of his wisdom for family life. Okay, here's a pop quiz. What's the first thing you need in order to get wisdom? Anybody remember? The fear of the Lord. That's right. So um, that's the same thing you need to have a happy family. That's where it starts. Proverbs 15, 16, and 17. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. So these two lines are meant to go together. They begin and end identically. Better is and with it. So just as it's better to fear the Lord than to be rich. So it's better to eat a vegetarian meal amongst loved ones than to eat steak with hostile people. And just a quick sidebar here on vegetarianism. It's fine if people want to do that um, because they think it's healthier. But don't say meat is murder because it's not. And and here throughout the Bible, Meat is seen as a good thing and a blessing from God. And Jesus ate lamb and he ate fish. So it can't be a sin. That's enough of that. Anyway, back to this verse. It's connecting the fear of the Lord with our most intimate everyday relationships, our families with whom we share our meals. Families are by far the most common milieu where love is demonstrated. It is in the context of the family where we have the greatest opportunities to live out God's call for us to love one another. The family is where we learn to cooperate and to exercise loyalty. And when there's harmony, there's nothing better. So David wrote in Psalm 133.1, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And he concluded that psalm with, For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. It's life-giving. 
Unity in the family is a reflection of the shalom of God, the peace of God. Therefore, we must work hard to make sure the family is a peaceful place of refuge. Look at Psalm eighteen nineteen. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. Because family relationships are so strong, betrayal is felt all the deeper, and healing the breaches is so much more difficult. And the consequences can be very serious. Here's a stern warning against causing division in the home. Proverbs 11:29. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be a servant of the wise heart. This is the black sheep syndrome. In a patriarchal culture like ancient Israel, such a person had the high probability of being completely estranged from his family and losing his inheritance. And they would even have a funeral for him. If you lose your family, you lose everything. You inherit the wind. And finally, Proverbs warns us of one of the most destructive forces in family life, and that's debt. A lot of Proverbs on this, but we'll read this one. Uh, twenty-two, twenty-six. Be not one of those who give pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? You know that money is the number one cause of divorce. Financial insecurity puts stress on a relationship that a lot of people just can't hold up under. So now let's look at the different roles within the family. And first, let's look at advice in Proverbs for the husband. We've already seen that his wife is a blessing from the Lord. And the husband's attitude should be one of gratitude. Look at 1914. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. You know, if husbands really saw their wives as gifts from God, the marriage would be a lot stronger. But the surest way to wreck a marriage is adultery. In fact, most of the Proverbs directed towards husbands are focused on that command. And those who don't obey God's command will pay a high price. Look at Proverbs six twenty-seven. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not get scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. That punishment may be the immediate results of getting caught or the long-term results of guilt and shame. But the justice of God will play out in the end. But better than the fear of retribution, the surest and most happiest way to have a good marriage is for men to value their wives above all other women. Proverbs 5.18 Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated in her love. 
Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Men have a choice here. They can choose to be attracted to their wives sexually, or they can let their eyes wander. It's a matter of focus and intention. And that focus is not tedious and burdensome. It will be rewarded with true satisfaction and joy. This proverb uses the metaphor of intoxication. It reminds me of that old song. Uh, so I got me a girl and I kissed her and then, whoops, oh Lord, well, I kissed her again because she had kisses sweeter than wine. Mm-mm, kisses sweeter than wine. The next thing you know, this guy is married with four kids and then eight grandkids, all because of those intoxicating kisses. I think my wife Gina's kisses are kind of like a fine Cabernet. Studies show that faithfully monogamous husbands are much more satisfied sexually than promiscuous men. Again, God's way is the best way. Infidelity is one of the most painful and devastating things that can happen in a family. And even if there is repentance, wives and children are scarred by it for life. So that, what, what does God have to say to wives from Proverbs? Well, women too can be tempted sexually, but the focus in Proverbs for wives is much more on how they conduct themselves in their home. <clears throat> We've seen the excellent wife a while back in Proverbs 31 who works tirelessly to make the home a place of security and abundance. She loves her family by serving them. For a wife to neglect that role is disastrous. Look at 14.1. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. So how does a woman build her house? It doesn't mean she's a carpenter. It has to do with how she operates in her home. The wise woman builds her house by being a godly example and by teaching her children to fear God. And the most common admonitions in Proverbs for women is, has to do with how they speak in their homes. So 21.9 says, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than a house shared with a quarrelsome woman, wife. This verse was so important that it is repeated verbatim in chapter 25. And here's another one. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Are you getting the point? Nobody wants to live there. Nobody wants to live in such a household. It'd be better to go up on the roof or pitch a tent out in the desert. And her speech is a never-ending irritation. Look at 2715. A continual dripping on a rainy day and, and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. No amount of arguing can change her behavior. Trying to stop her is as fruitless as trying to stop the wind or grabbing a handful of oil. Only the Spirit of God can change the heart. Constant 
fussing and fighting tears down a house. No one wants to be there. Husbands stay long hours at work or at the bar or at the golf course or with a mistress. This doesn't excuse them, but that's how sinful men react. And the children get out as soon as they can and come back as, as little as they can. So the way a wise woman builds her house is through discipline, routine and hard work. It has to do with disciplining herself and her children, but all of that is done in love, in a loving atmosphere. The foolish woman can tear down her house simply by neglecting those duties. Have you ever seen those super nanny TV shows? Anybody seen one of those? They're reality shows that started in England where this Mary Poppins type comes into a home that is in chaos and she brings order to the home. But that responsibility isn't just for the wife and mother. Parenthood is meant to be a joint project. When it comes to the raising of children, the two parents are to speak with one voice. Proverbs 1.8 Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. And what is that instruction and teaching? Again, the fear of the Lord. 14.26 In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. Parents who want to provide a healthy life and a safe environment for their children must begin here. When the parents fear, fear the Lord, the home is a refuge for children. The next ber- verse um, has been, a, I think, an unfair source of much guilt for parents. Um, Proverbs 22, 6, and I'm sure it's very familiar to you all. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, many faithful parents have had their hearts broken over unbelieving children, and they blamed themselves for it. But I believe that's due to a misunderstanding of what this verse is actually saying. First of all, we have to remember that Proverbs are principles and not promises. For example, diligence usually results in financial prosperity. But there's no guarantee in that. It's not a promise. There's a whole array of circumstances that may arise to put a diligent person into poverty. It's the same with this verse. As a general rule, children from strong believing parents tend to believe. But God is sovereign over the election of the saints. And children have their own wills. So no amount of human effort can change that. And the way that he should go is not necessarily talking about becoming a Christian. Um, It could be simply talking about life in general. And I found another interpretation that of the way he should go, um, that it should better be translated according to his nature or his inclinations. In that case, this verse is exhorting parents to observe the child's aptitudes and their inclinations and then encourage them toward those things that will make them successful. So whichever of these is true, the bottom line is this. 
that parents are responsible to train their children. Our children need discipline because they are fallen human beings. Folly is infused in them. This is the sinful flesh that Paul talks about in Romans, where he says, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful desires aroused by the law were active in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. And left unchecked, this will inevitably result in death. 23.13 says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. Even if you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will deliver him from death. Most, if not all, the verses in Proverbs concerning parenting, they have to do with discipline. If parents love their children, they will discipline them. And sometimes that means spanking. Look at 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. But it takes wisdom to know just how to discipline in any, any situation. A different child, a different situation. These are all matters of wisdom. I got a lot of wisdom when I was raising my daughter from Dr. Dobson, a focus on the family. Um, he said, never discipline in anger. That's, that's a good thing. Always cool down. He said, never discipline for mistakes only for willful disobedience. And spanking should only be for a short period of time, early in the child's life. The Bible doesn't address specific ages for that type of discipline, but developmentally, spanking is appropriate only between ages of 18 months and 6 or 7 years old. And beyond that, it can breed disconnection between parents and children and passive-aggressive behaviors. I don't think that I needed to spank my daughter much past the age of three. And it should only be used as a last resort when the child is willfully rebellious. And even then, spanking's not always necessary. Sometimes a simple look can turn the situation around. Other disciplinary measures, such as timeouts or withholding privileges, are also very effective. And finally, it's never okay to injure a child. Spanking should never leave bruises or marks. So, what can children learn about family life from the book of Proverbs? How do they obey that commandment, honor your father and mother? Well, the first thing is to listen to them. Listen to them and learn from them. Proverbs 1.8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Now, we've already seen this in regard to the parent's responsibility to teach, but the child is also responsible to take it to heart. And it is not only the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do. Proverbs 15.5, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. He's smart. It seems self-evident that the more experience people have, the more they know and the more they can help us, but 
That's not what our rebellious flesh wants to do. We want to, we want to do things our way and not listen to advice. But the proverb says that's what we need to do. And what's the opposite of despising your parents? Well, it's honoring them. It's obeying that commandment. You know, even the worst of parents have something to teach their children. And even if they don't, total rebellion is never okay. Proverbs 20.20. If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. The Old Testament law said that parents should bring their rebellious son before the elders in order to have him stoned to death. God takes this seriously. And though we're no longer under that law, rebellion is very spiritually dangerous. And the consequences can be eternal. And it's not just children who can rebel in a family. Any family member who violates the principles of a godly family is in rebellion toward God. The only remedy is to submit to the discipline of the Lord and restore the family relationship. You know, at the dawn of creation, God instituted the human family. In the genealogy of Jesus found in Luke chapter 3, his lineage is traced from father to son all the way back to the garden and ends with Adam, who is called there the son of God. In Adam, we were all in God's family. But Adam was disinherited because of his rebellion. Because of that, we are all born into that rebellion. And it's only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the second Adam, that we can be reconciled to the Father and once again be received into God's family. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are our Father. We praise you that you've called us into your family. And Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom um, in whatever role we have in our families, that we might follow your principles and bring glory to you, that the world might see that your way is the best way. And Lord, that they might come to know that we are your disciples by your love, and that they might submit to you and become a part of your family. So, Father, we give you all the glory and all the praise for what you're going to do in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's Word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the Word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, just click on the green Support Us button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.